0: Today, whoa Tino, as we talk about the cartwheeling Colombian, one of the greatest of all the meddling kids, Faustino Esprilia, the Faustino the Furious. Plus Roma Porto, the latest from Il campionato, which classic Milan pair do Paqueta and Piantec remind you of, and Palermo. Colazzo! Here with Golazzo today. It's Benvenuto, Gabriele Marcotti. Great to be here. Oh, that's nice to know. And also to you, Salve. Mr. James Horncastle. <laughs> Do you think that James
1: yes. might have some plumbing issues in a week's time? I
0: think he might. Look out, James. Your problem. standpipe <laughs> is not sounding right to me.
1: If you get it sorted ahead of time, mm. this yeah. is your chance to influence the flow of history. Absolutely. Literally the flow. Nice pun
0: there, Gab. Nice. Thank you. wonder where I got that from. Anyway, now, listen, we've got lots to discuss, and there's every chance that Gab might get a little bit animated about it later on when we talk about... What's happening in the Champions League and what's happening in Serie a. But we're going to begin, though, with our retro section. And today, pleasingly, one of the quietest, least colourful men ever to grace, Serie A. Managing to evade the challenge from Sidiuri. He's got Benarivo outside him. Aspria through the middle here. Aspria with the shots. Oh. Magnificent goal. Well, that's a candidate
1: for goal of the season.
2: Super skill by Zola.
0: Aspria, uh, deceiving Rossi, good effort too, well uh, saved by Zenga, in goes Zola, flat was with him, it's Aspria,
2: it's two, fabulous goal,
1: Zola and Aspria uh, tormenting Sampdoria there.
0: Yes, indeed. Faustino and Great shout this week, uh, James. What's your favourite Tino Asprilio story?
2: Uh, well, going back to Colombia after starring in the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final against Atletico Madrid, where he scored twice in a come-from-behind win. Goes off to see his mum. He's driving around. A bus pulls in front of him. He gets angry. He gets out of his car. He starts kicking the emergency door to try and get it open so he can have an altercation with the driver.
1: The driver? No, not just the driver. All 50 crazed Colombian <laughs> inmates on the bus. He was going to fight them all. Kicks his, kicks his foot
2: through the door. Obviously, a bit of glass gets in his foot, and he misses the next month. Misses the cup when it's cup misses final.
0: Misses the, the, the game against Royal Antwerp. <laughs> Palmer's first great cup success, my word. In- what about you, Gab? What do you think of when you think of Tino Aspergillia?
1: It was just the fact that, like, he seemed to play on fast forward. Um, I I remember glimpses of him just just kind of seizing the ball, and it looked like one of those like black and white films from the nineteen thirties when the action suddenly s- speeds up, and because
0: uh, he, he had that loping run, oh, deceptively so.
1: Yeah, but then he'd accelerate.
0: Exactly, that's what I'm saying.
1: Which, which was like, which didn't really make sense. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, there's so much packed into it. It's easy to to, to go and, and and stereotype and, and make jokes about. You know, indisciplined South Americans, blah, oh, blah, no. blah, and condoms and riding guns. around on a horse in a dinosaur suit.
0: Yeah, but that's one of the... We'll play a little bit of a sprilla true or false, I think, later on. But, uh, but yeah, it's easy to, to stereotype. But this this guy, those first, what was it, three, four years at Obama before he made the move to, to Newcastle, he was electric and... Oh.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I was just say a guy. I know, uh this is when he returned to uh, to Parma. Went to see him at his house. Uh, it's it's an agent. And this priest like, oh, I'll I'll be right back. And he leaves the room. So he's sitting here and looks, looks at his what's on his coffee table, which would assume coffee table book something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he he has these two catalogs from one of them's in, in in the the writing is all in Cyrillic on the front, and he's like, what what's this? doing here and then he opens it and he notices that it's like some sort of industrial catalog and it's all like automatic weapons machine guns survival gear and stuff like that and uh and then it must be I came back he's like well <laughs> what's the deal with this like do, do you actually buy this stuff or own it and he's like he's like yeah yeah no you know sometimes I, I just like looking at it sometimes I I order it Wow.
0: I don't want to stereotype, but it is fair that he came through one of the most colourful cities in the world in late in one 80s, of the early most colorful 90s. most
1: colourful times in the world, in too. Of,
0: absolutely. Medellin, which is where he was playing for Atlético Nacional, where his success led to the move to Parma. There was, there was talk at the time that uh, Medellin's most famous resident was in some way involved in that uh, move because it helped... The flow of money internationally was advantageous for more reasons than just footballing ones. I don't know if that – was that a story that you heard at the time?
1: You know what? People always talk about – this is what people talk about, we talk about because football's a cash business and stuff. And they talk about, well, money laundering is rife. I'd love to explain how they laundered money. I mean, I, I know it's pretty obvious if I'm hypothetically and I'm talking about Escobar who's dead and so therefore can't be libeled. If hypothetically I were, um, you know, a, a, drug, a drug over drug yeah. kingpin, yeah, I have all this cash coming in because unfortunately I have to sell my, my thing for cash. I need to spend it on something that might yield a return. Mm. Then, yeah, hypothetically putting money into a football club where I might pay a lot of people in cash, and then when I sell my players or get TV revenue or prize money or whatever it comes back to me clean, mm. that might make sense. It'd be really good if, like, um, you've had three seasons of Narcos,
2: um, and instead of doing, what, the the third one, or is it the fourth, in Mexico, mm. they just relocated to Palmer. Narcos.
0: Palmer. <laughs> All right, well, let's relocate ourselves to Palma 1992, an interesting time for a young Colombian to be arriving. What is love?
2: Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me.
0: That's right, as Hadaway rocked your world and mine, listener. In the foggy, discreetly wealthy streets of one of Italy's finest places to live, Parma, strides a wide-eyed Colombian by the name of Tino Sprelli, who's just about to score a really significant goal. He arrives in 1992, and that Parma team, you had Nevio Scala, who was kind of a really nice guy, these huge farmer's hands... And a, a massive jaw. Jo- he basically looked like Matt Damon, what, who'd had a l- massive amount of steroids and crossed with Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Do you not, <laughs> not thing, And had Cesare <laughs> Maldini's haircut. I mean, that's quite a Frankenstein's
1: monster. Well, yeah, with, but real never,
0: hair,
1: <laughs> but with real hair, though. With real hair. I once... The thing about Nevio Scott is he's one of those people that like, you could just call all the time. I, <clears> and <throat> I, I remember, on more than one occasion, I rang him during the off-season and there was like this pop-pop behind him. And he was literally on his farm. And what I was hearing was, was a tractor. And this one time, he was actually riding the tractor when he answered the phone.
0: Magnificent. So he was the manager of that Palmer team, James.
1: There's some good stories about him and Esprit,
2: um, because Espria was very frustrating in that he could win games on his own, as we'll later discuss, or he would just would not follow instructions, would do his own thing. And... Scala would obviously try and get him his fitness up, Uh, would send him on these long runs to the point where you'd have Espria sort of taking off his boots and then throwing them as far as he can, saying, you're an onson of Forrest Gump. <laughs> and then uh, I think at the it end
1: of one season... I se- am not Forrest Gump.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end of the season, um, Palm used to give all their fines away to charity. And there was a list on the dressing room wall of you know various sort of misdemeanors incurred and, and, and how much every player owned. And when Espria found out that um, basically that was what happened he went and found the paper with all the vines on scrunched it up and ate it and swallowed it ate
0: it the, damn, right <laughs> ok well anyway so that first season he's joined a team that already has Thomas Berlin Sandro Melli Sindico Marcosio and Taffarell. then Tafarel. Tafarel playing at the back
1: George Groon
0: but oh, yeah. um, I'm thinking now, Taffarel. Okay, so Taffarel. I just saw and yeah.
1: going running together.
0: Because <laughs> then you have Balota. Balota then kind of took over in, in, in goal behind. I think no.
1: I think they alternated for a Did bit. They? Taffarel was very young when he arrived. Mm.
0: Right. So uh, you also had Apolloni, You had Minotti, Di Chiara. Some at Benarivo as a wingback. Benarivo. Yeah. It was
2: such a great and team. Tempi
0: mm. <laughs> and this Palmer team, who in those days kind of were seen as the force of... I mean, we now know what we know about the money that was behind them. But at the time, they were the, the little team that could from this tiny town, 180,000 inhabitants, but with well-spent money, were suddenly challenging the biggest clubs in, in Italy and, indeed, in Europe. And the 23rd of March 1993, that first season... They go to Milan, to San Siro, and it's a, a stuffy spring, spring day. They're taking on the greatest team in the world, without question, Milan. A team that hadn't lost since 1991, 58 matches. Mm. They did not lose Milan, 58 matches. But that day, they went down to Asprilla.
1: It was a free kick, as yeah. I recall, mm. at the San Siro. And I, I remember, this is so typical Capello, he said, "Like, well, we saw it coming. It was a miracle that you know we even got there because you know from a profilo tecnico tactico which means technical-tactical perspective, huh. which is one of those meaningless buzzwords that he uses." And then I looked back to look at the papers, and I thought, like, "Hmm, this is once again one of those your own, one of those like recollections that you know you have, nobody else did." Which is, you know, his version was that on the day they were also down; it was inevitable. And kind of like after the first few minutes, she understood that one way or another Parma were going to score. And then Espria scored the type of goal that he would never, ever score again. And that was that. And it was meant to be in a fresh start. That's not what happened at all. They were actually still on a high. They'd been through the difficult period. Obviously, they knew they were going to lose at some point. They certainly didn't expect to lose uh, at home in that game. They certainly had chances. And... Aspria would score other goals like that. Yeah, and uh, I think what people in, in this country and
2: maybe beyond tend to forget about Panama is these guys were fresh out of Serie B. This club had never played top-flight football before, and it wasn't like they just came up and basically like let's look to survive here. They were immediately punching well above their weight. I mean, you look at Aspria's time there; they finished third, fifth, third. And they won more or less everything aside from the Scudetto Mm. and the Champions League in that time. They cleaned up. Um, So, again, for a team like that to go to San Siro to beat that team... And to do it with what is a fantastic free kick It's not just a kind of it goes through the wall It gets a deflection It is one of those which has a wonderful trajectory to it Where it looks like it's almost going over And then it dips just at the right moment And really faintly goes under the bar It's a magnificent free kick
1: You're
0: listening to Galazzo The Totally Italian Football Show a lot of people listening will go, as brilliant was a legend for Newcastle as well, That the hat-trick against Barcelona famously. They'll talk about his incredible first goals for Colombia against Argentina, no? And the 5-0. The 5-0 at the Monumental. and he, he gets a brace in that. But focusing, really, as you say, there weren't that many goals. 106 games, only 28 goals for Panama. Five trophies that he won with them. The his Cup, which he had to sit out the final of there at Wembley the copy away for twice, once in the season after he'd returned from Newcastle, a European Super Cup and a Copa Italia as well, bless. But just so many stories as well. How weird was it, Gab, to have a player as Estroso, if you like, as as larger than life as Asprilla in a town like Parma?
1: It was odd because, you know, obviously the, um, we had characters and stuff like that before, but you know parmas an hour and a bit away from milan so Fair. on your nights off it's not hard to go and and find some if nightlife If the
0: fog permits
1: yes, if you can get if you can get out of the fog um you know, it, it's just a completely different concept, a completely different way of life, especially back then. You know, I mean,
0: it was like a family club as well at this this really sober town. I when I think of Palmer, we think of the, the the flat caps and the and the and the loden and just called great. I mean, really immaculate streets, but a really sober and and uh, well, discreet so you, town. You
2: think of the um, the players on that team. You've, mm. you've listed a lot of them. I mean, the manager Scala. Gab says, a bit farmer stock, essentially, Um, quite humble. A lot of the others, Apolloni, Minotti, um, Minotti's quite a refined gentleman-like figure. Very polite, yeah. Um, They would occasionally, you know, go out for dinner, maybe have a glass of wine at dinner, and then say, right, essentially they all lived more or less next to each other, drive back, and they would, you know, some of them would wait to see if Tino would basically, you know, park his car in the garage and then five minutes later think the coast is clear and then drive back out and you know go for one of his his big uh big nights on the town wherever
1: it may be but it's very much i mean the ethos there was very much there, sort of the, the whole notion of kind of like the bourgeois gentleman farmer countryside sort of you know i it's sort of the Harrogate of it. I was Italy, just really going to say that. I was just going to say Harrogate. <laughs> it is the, you know, the, that sort of idealized ethos. And then all of a sudden you drop this guy in there. And again, let's not forget, Espria famously owned a ranch in yeah. uh, in rural Colombia. So he wasn't necessarily averse to nature in the countryside, as we would later find out.
0: We can do true or false about Esprit's stories. You mentioned his ranch where footage of him riding his <laughs> horse playing uh, football with a kind of six-foot diameter football, his horse doing the kicking, and him riding on the horse dressed as a dinosaur. Um, I'm going to say I don't think that was him. Really? Yeah, there's another dinosaur clip, which he, I think, sent Alan Shearer of him doing a a flip into a rubber dinghy dressed Mm. as a dinosaur. I think there is a back catalogue of footage, of almost stock footage of people dressed as dinosaurs doing weird things, and I've seen that a guy dressed as a dinosaur riding a horse in an advert for a guy who trains horses in somewhere in America. Okay. So I think that that's might not be him.
2: Having seen his goal celebrations, right. the cartwheels, the cartwheels, the yeah. somersaults, you know, you can totally see him being able to to pull that off.
0: Right. The condoms. That's true.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Tinos. Yeah. Um, strawberry flavor, chocolate flavor,
0: and his favorite guava flavor. <laughs> because, and this is touching. They had a a guava tree in his backyard when he was a kid, and he always loved the flavor, so...
2: I imagine they focus-grouped it. Do you
0: know what? I I, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he did pose nude, full frontal, on the cover of a Colombian magazine, Yeah, and impressively so.
1: He was also, on the back of that, he was also... On the back of the magazine? No, but... Okay. (laughs) So he was also one of the first Colombian footballers to speak out in favor of lgbt mm-hmm. you know in in a part of the world that's often a little bit not the most progressive and open to lgbt issues so they have the catholic to have a celebrity like him come out and say like you know i don't care who enjoys the picture of mm-hmm. my body naked or what they do with it you know mm-hmm. i'm open to all and it's time that we be more inclusive excellent
2: there is this story about um when tino comes over to italy should have told this earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, where I think he believes he is entitled in his contract to 8% of the transfer fee, which is about $4 million at the time. And the president of his club in Colombia doesn't pay up. And then a few years later, that president is running for mayor somewhere in Colombia and basically begs for Tino Espria's support. Yeah, come on, get behind me. Can you say something, and we can use it in my political manifesto? You know, Tino Espria endorses so and so, and the Espria got back to him to say, um, "You have my support, uh, my financial support. It's the eight <laughs> percent that right. you owed me."
0: There you um, go. So there you go. Petra Scarback, was it Scarback? I'm not sure. In the movies, they always said Scarback. The way I remember, I haven't
1: watched as much porn as you have, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway, this was the other reason that he became really famous because the Italian papers lapped this up. When I wonder he... why. Yeah, I mean, the... but this was, I think, his second season there where amid the gloomy winter nights of of, of Parma, he was observed going out with this this uh, German adult movie actress who then certainly made a little bit of capital out of it. She was all over the papers saying, oh, yeah, we only went out a couple of times now. He's always calling me on the phone. I want to explain to Scarlett and the Tanzi family who are in the club, it's not my fault if he's not scoring anymore. But it was shortly after that that his wife, Catalina, who was really sweet, I met the pair of them when, when he'd first arrived, and I guess maybe after that Milan goal.
2: But apparently Petra Schabach had a relationship with Tony Curtis as well. Is that she? right? Yeah. And then you know, I think after you know, her little fling with Tino fell apart, she, she began a career as a body painter.
0: What, painting her body or using her body to paint?
2: Well, I imagine if she wanted to make a career out of it, she couldn't just paint her own body. I don't know. Um,
0: it's interesting, though, because this was going to be a, a, a golazzo about Asprilia. <laughs> and we've not had that many on-field stories to tell. His quote was, if I played at Milan or Juve, then I probably would have won the Golden Ball. Because after all, if Nedved won it, with all due respect, that, that oh, was Tino's he did, view. He did that say great,
1: that. that... That Nedved thing was was, was, was wonderful. Uh, He did say that had he played for a
2: a big market club, like Milan, Inter, Juve, he would have won the league rather than, you know, some, as we said, the Italian Harrogate. uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but it was funny when you talk about, I mean, I think you touched upon it before when you mentioned when Colombia beat Argentina 5-0 at the Monumental. When people think back to that Colombia side, if they ever do. They only think back to it for for one reason.
0: But this is the build-up to the 94 World Cup and then Escobar, of course. Yeah,
1: it's a different Escobar from the one before, although you can watch the 30-for-30 called the two Escobars tell you the whole story. But Andres Escobar, defender, you know, scores an own goal against the U.S., Columbia lose, and they go out of the World Cup, and it's a national tragedy. People don't realize how dominating that team was and how, I I think I'm right in saying, like, the manager... Paco Maturana, hmm. who at the time, especially, there weren't very many managers of color. You know, he had won the Intercontinental Cup before. He was he was kind of like the South American Saki in some yeah. ways. And he had built this absolute machine of a team with with, with Valderrama and Freddie Rincón and, and all these guys. Leonel Alvarez, who looked ridiculous, but was a really good player. Um, you mentioned he looks ridiculous and not Valderrama right. <laughs> yeah well, and, or indeed René Gita who's also on that team but um but they were so good and like there was it, it, they had such a had such an importance of sort of like the underdogs and here we come and we're going to subvert the established order and there's a certain parallel to that i think and and then they fall apart there was a certain parallel to that obviously with uh, with him at Parma where they didn't end up winning the title and of course, at Newcastle too, where, if I'm not mistaken, the season mm. there that was yeah. the that that was the whole you know Keegan. I'd love it. I'd love it, right? Season. Yeah, so no,
0: absolutely. He very much slots into that narrative as a as a functioning team that is disrupted by a high profile arrival. Although there are those who say that the the yeah, real I mean, story. There.
1: About, well, I meant more like a team that's about to subvert the established order. And oh, then I see. Right. The deep state and the powers that right. be go and they say, "Hey, deplorables, get back in your basket." Right. That's what happened to Parma, that's what happened to Colombia, and that's what happened to Newcastle. Yeah. That's
0: why they, they nobbled Keegan, yeah. I
2: would have added something to that conversation, but I've made the mistake of clicking on Petra Oshabak's <laughs> official website. Oh,
0: with we, the body painting? <laughs> I
2: think Charlie has done the same, our producer, yeah.
0: Well, uh, Faustina Spirilliat, a flame that burnt briefly, but burnt so very brightly in Serie A, James.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a fantastic goal against Inter, which I would recommend anyone look out, where there's a sort of switch of play. He's outside of the box... Within a split second of him bringing it down, he just hits this right foot shot, top corner, cross goal, boom, Tino Espria.
1: The other thing too with Espria is people don't realize, after he left Europe, I think he played for like 50 different clubs in Brazil and Colombia Mm. and kept moving on. And I think at that point, he still had a lot of money and he just got crazier and crazier off the pitch, you know, (laughs) hence, you know, the guns, the anger issues. The
0: riding horse as a dinosaur playing football,
1: the condoms. Yeah. yeah, why not? It was all why around, not? You know
0: there's a, a kind of eye-opening blizzard uh, piece where a journalist who I think is based in Colombia goes to s- stay with Tino for a weekend at his ranch. Wow. And a lot of the kind of Colombian cliches are confirmed by this story. They're kind of popping out to the shops for a couple of minutes and turning out eight hours later and the the, the succession of colorful guests at, at the the villa. But what also comes across is that Tino's a really Dantworth guy who's basically, in his mind, living his best life and really wants everybody else to be doing the same thing. And, I, you know, what greater praise can he give anyone? Anyway, Tino Sbrilli, who certainly lit up the grey, grey town of Parma.
1: Why oh, you stop with this grey, grey town of gray Parma. There. It's
0: not grey. It's so gray, Yeah, Obviously, it's if it's the, the dead
1: of winter and it's, it's yeah. not foggy in the summer. In the, in the
0: summer when it's too hot for anyone to be there. It, it does get a little bit <laughs> humid, get, but you know what? It's but 20, it's a lovely town. not 2019.
1: I, I, like, the of I love Parma.
0: not just the grey city of Parma, but the greyish early 90s days of, of Serie A when the goals were few and uh, you know the, the football was 4-4-2. He was a breath of fresh air. Scala always played three at the back. I know he did. <laughs> or five, I think, probably. <laughs> It's Wednesday, the morning after Roma's 2-1 victory in the Champions League last 16 over Porto in a game which took a long time to get going.
1: This is also Porto's side that were without the two best, Marega and, of course, Abubakar. Mm. And
0: Corona as well.
1: So they didn't really have a striker. And then Brahimi got hurt.
0: The fact that Porto pulled one back made it 2-1. I mean, it was an unlucky goal to
2: concede. Mm. Um, I think it was a nervy ending because Roma tired. I think you look at the guys that Di Francesco had on the bench. They were without Under, without Schick. Basically guys who could get you up the other end of the pitch and maybe take some of the pressure off them.
1: Once but, some, once everybody gets tired. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what, it's not like you're gonna I mean, the way Zagnalo and El Shirari played, you're not gonna say like, Well, you should have started Patrick Schick instead of these guys. No. Or Under. But yeah, once they got tired, maybe that's when you make the maybe that's when you make the, change well, I thought was and,
2: was the Second half for uh, twenty five minutes, half an hour. Roma played really well Mm. I thought their midfield was excellent Pellegrini and Cristante Dzeko hit the post twice Uh, he had a really good game often creating things really out of nothing. That late
0: um, break, which he, he kind of side a ball out of nothing to... Uh, I'm not sure, was it El Shaarawy?
2: Yeah, and uh, and then Militao, who I think looks worth the hype, um, just completely monstered <laughs> El Shaarawy.
0: But the big story for the papers this morning was the man who scored both Roma's goals, the youngest Italian ever to do that in the Champions League, Zaniolo.
2: Yeah, and I think what um, keeps surprising me about this kid is is... Di Francesco plays him all over the place and it doesn't seem to have any impact on his performances you know when he kind of first came onto the scene made his debut remember at the Bernabeu in that 3-0 defeat it felt like Di Francesco was just making a point that you know this kid's got the hunger the desire that the the guys have left in the stands have not and since then I mean he's he's justified not only Di Francesco's decision to, to put him in the team but also Mancini's decision to call him up before that for the senior Italy squad and as I said, he's played as a he's played as a number eight, he's played as a number ten. Last night he was playing out wide on the right for I think maybe the second or third time this season. And there are other talented kids at Roma who've tried to play that position. You think of Justin Cliver, you think of Naingalan last year, you think of Schick when they've tried to get Schick in the team. And he scores twice, one with his left, one with his right. Probably could have had another goal in between that, where he popped up at the far post on the left-hand side. A lot of people getting carried away, saying he's predestinato, you know, he's he's destined for great things. I think what strikes me about him is he just looks unflappable. I mean, right. he yeah, seems to have the composure and is unfazed by playing at that level.
1: Mm. And of course, not to belabor the point, but obviously on an Inter team which seems to stink it up every t- every week and is totally devoid of any creativity except for the bras. Uh, <laughs> he love the bras <laughs> or Parisi when he wants to, which is never. Can you imagine if that guy they'd actually said, "Hey, look, he can play."
0: So they let him go for what four and a half million?
1: Who knows? Because most stupid make weights in the in the in, in the Nangoland deal. But right. I think I think the, the the price in the end was six six. Is that the calculation they made? Six and a half, like that? Yeah, I think six. They're just so, so idiotic, yeah. so stupid, so okay. uh, well.
0: Roma and Italy's uh, gain. Inter's lost. Calcio AS Roma riding in to say Roma have won a Champions League game with seven Italians in the starting lineup and a 19 year old Italian scoring a brace. This is what Italian football needs. Roma deserve credit. They also had Meranti in goal. We were talking about the players who were missing uh, and uh, Olsen not fit on the bench. I mean, it was a fitness issue, you no? Know, yeah, he groin problem. Uh, back at the Dragao, you're less than confident, though, about Roma's ability to get the result they need? You know, if that
1: was a good performance, if Roma had won that game three nil. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it would have been entirely plausible.
0: Well, we'll see on I'm the sixth of March that you're confident. That's yeah. good. All right. Anyway, speaking of people getting perhaps overexcited about young talent, let's move on to some of the results from the weekend and in particular one of those four teams separated by one point chasing fourth spot in A, AC Milan, who beat Cagliari three nil and Basically, Piontek continued his scoring streak. Paquitar got his first goal for the Rossoneri. And the two of them, a lot of people, I must admit I was among them going, it's Kakar and Shevchenko
1: all over again. There's that picture. There's that picture yeah. was yeah. tweeted out between like an internet meme, right? But,
0: I mean, Paquitar had this... Uh, this was kind of the way he was billed when he arrived. He's like Kakar. But it's Piontek, who's just deadly. That guy's extraordinary. Deadly is the
2: right word because, you know, he does not need many chances you know if you if he gets just one chance he'll take it and I think that was the stunning thing about his goal really he hadn't really done much up until no, that if been, anything he, at all
0: not been good
2: uh, and I,
1: I think he, until that point
2: yeah and manages to place the ball through a crowd of people into the back of
0: the net at Milan the club of Van Basten of, of, of Inzaghi of Shevchenko they've been waiting a long time for a player to truly take on that mantle have they have they found him
1: i Come on, skeptical about this. I made a bet with somebody that he wouldn't score 20 goals this season uh, in Serie A. How many is he on now? He's on 15, so it doesn't look good for me. It looks like I will owe somebody a very expensive steak dinner. Ooh, what will you take them? Uh, we're going to... Uh, if you go. Well, we'll definitely go. Just a question if we'll play. We're going to one of my favorite... Uh, Italian steakhouses in London. Roberto Costa. Ah, There's actually yeah. six of We've them. We've been there, James. Did we, is that the There's place that we, we went to? Yeah, yeah, yeah we I, of there. course, will be going to the original one in Kensington. Okay. Um, But it's, yeah, it's it's pretty special.
0: You're not willing to commit yet on Piontek and Paquita.
2: Hey, I mean, Paquita, he has lots and lots of moments in mm. games, which make him kind of excellent YouTube or, or Twitter but material.
1: Just, but don't you think he's added a verve the verb that you're talking about is missing is is really what Milan needed uh-huh. because with the injuries that they had, when you ask, okay, well, what's going to be exciting, right? Yeah. It's Suzo beating two men and then losing the ball or shooting from 50 yards out. Chalanoglu's really been horrendous, mm. really, until yeah. couple, the last couple of games he's been okay. raventura has been out. So who is there who is exciting? And they haven't had that. The players who are supposed to be exciting haven't been exciting or, or they've been hurt. And so suddenly, you know, you've got this guy and you've got Piontek who, you know... Finishes chances. Who finishes chances. Also,
2: James, I mean, Leonardo and Maldini, they had their first transfer market in the summer. If you look at a lot of those players, they haven't really worked out for them. Higuain's gone to Chelsea. Castilejo is Castilejo. Timo Bakayoko's done well, but Laxalt as well. Oh, yeah. They spent, what, 12, 14 million? The January transfer window seems to have have gone very well for them. It's kind of really kick-started their campaign, they're going to get players back now. Caldara, Bilia, make them play better football I think. Um, so I think in that in that sense it's, it's positive.
0: Looking good for them in that race for fourth spot where they have that one point lead over Roma, Lazio and Atalanta who of course they're going to be facing this Saturday. That's the key game of this weekend. How exciting does that match look in prospect in Bergamo?
2: Super exciting because um, Atalanta have beaten, well not just beaten, thrashed Into there 4 1. Um, They obviously drew with Juve, but they were leading in that game, knocked them out of the cup. Um, They came back from what 3 0 down to draw 3 3 with Roma. Spectacular games. I think Atalanta really shown up, humiliated um, the Milan sides over the last three years, particularly when you look at how much Milan have spent. Some of of that money has gone on Atalanta players, Kessi Conti. Milan have spent 363 million in the last four years on players. Wow. Atalanta have turned a profit of $82 million in that time.
1: $363 is that a net loss from you? That's a
2: loss. That's the amount they've invested. That's a negative transfer. So that's exactly, not- a negative transfer of spend, whereas okay. Atalanta have
1: made $82 million in that time. And you could actually add the $9 million on Higuaín on top of that. Yeah. Amazing. Um,
0: I know you were mentioning Atalanta's uh, salary, what, 14th highest wage bill in Serie? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention something else because with Atalanta, there's always a narrative, right? Uh Atalanta is, you know, they spend a ton of money on their youth academy. They've probably produced a ton of players, but we said, that's not how they put this team together this year. They put this team together, you know, almost Udinese style, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, Udinese style, or, or dare I say, Kievo style.
1: No, Back in the day. no, no, <laughs> Why?
0: But it's it's working, and one player in particular, Duvan Zapata, nine goals since the turn of the year. Only one player in Europe has scored more than that, and that's Sergio Aguero. So, who'd you like for Saturday? Atalanta. Yeah?
2: Yeah, I think Atalanta will probably finish fourth.
0: Oof.
1: Oh, stop.
2: And win the cup.
0: As for Inter, Gab you'll have been excited to see them winning a game. This, yeah, it was this tremendously
1: weekend. exciting. And then also going after and like crucifying Icardi afterwards because supposedly he's now the problem. Lautaro comes on, scores with his first touch after Inter have stunk Good up the Good goal, though, season. isn't it? He's is fine, but it's an hour. You're playing in a bunch of mopes who've already won this season <laughs> because with their, with, with their draw and their comeback against Juve. You needed a reaction. Right. You got a win. You know, I'm sorry, but you won 1-0 against Parma, needing a substitute to come on. Yeah. And then your constructive way of reacting is to go and destroy Icardi. Okay, fine. What,
0: how, how do you feel? Uh, how much did Spalletti enjoy the win? At the end, he was... He seemed to be shouting into the middle distance. Like a, so he and and leave the sideline at the same time. And, and Spalletti, who's just basically observed the whole match in that kind of passive-aggressive sulk of his, comes onto the pitch and just starts speaking into thin air and kind of like waving his hands in the air and complaining about something. I'm not sure what the story was there. Possibly, cardi. I told you, it's
1: Mr. Kurtz. Okay. Yeah.
2: You don't question him. You but worship is him. Weird tension. Uh, well, tension's maybe a bit too strong to call it that, but disconnect between him and Marotta Inter's new chief executive obviously Do you feel that's point. only going to end one way? I don't know I mean I think Marotta's come out and defended Spalletti, but the thing is Spalletti's response to that is I don't need defending why is he coming out and saying I need yeah, support? He's,
0: um, he's a prickly character Oh just some breaking news here because your producer Charlie Inter have just announced that the club captaincy will no longer be the responsibility of the misfiring Mauro Icardi but instead Another man who creates about as many goals per game. Their goalkeeper, Samir Handanovic. What does that mean? Is that just a kind of cosmetic thing, or is there significance given the ongoing contract what? wrangles? It's, it's, wow.
1: Listen, the only circumstance in which this is a good move is if Icardi went to the club and said, "Look, I feel too much pressure." Right? Is that possible? I suppose it seems like a pretty remote possibility from what we know of Icardi, though he's a bit of an odd character. So who knows? But right. otherwise, what's the looks- other take?
2: Oh, it's discipline, I think. Perhaps you know this is Wanda, not conduct contra. becoming becoming of a of a captain of Inter. But then again, they could have taken the captain's armband away from him when he you know decided to release an autobiography age 23, yeah. in which he he, he criticised the Courtois. Oh, when he, he was invited, the captain, then. he was the was captain. He? Yeah, already. Yeah, and that's why they said they would never recognise him as captain. There was a lot of pressure for the club to take the armband off him.
0: Mm. And when he invited out the Courtenod, that was a. I mean, not in the sense of taking them to a steak dinner like Gab, but basically hey, come said, on, I will, on. I and my friends from the barrios will, will, will have then, you. And then the ultras turned up outside his house and saying,
1: Where are they? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, look, He's like, Oh, look, Mauro, I see you here. You're, you're hanging out with all your friends. And he's there by himself because he doesn't have wow. any except for Wanda. I no. mean, this is just. Uh, it's probably more a case of just. just but the, the stupid thing is, you know, again, just because he and Marotta don't see eye to eye. Yeah. I wonder if it's him, I wonder if it's just a brilliant idea to motivate him. I don't know. Well I'm I'm sure we'll all find out soon enough.
2: We shall see. I'm looking forward to seeing a at Juve next year now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the first time that idea's been mentioned.
0: I no. think we pay for him. Wow. With
1: their bond. Yeah, with their yeah. new bond. <laughs> which is an J-Bond. exciting story.
0: <laughs> which is an exciting story. So um well Juve raising money in new and innovative ways, we need to talk about, before we leave today's show, a club that urgently needs to find some funds, and that is Palermo. Uh, before this Saturday, if possible, uh, last December, Palermo became a big story, not least for the fact that they were leading Serie B at the time, when uh, Maurizio Zamparini sold them to a British, in inverted commas, investment group, Sport Capital Investments. Fronted real by sport capital them, the same yeah. ones, yeah. Clive Richardson... I think it used
2: to be a mining company until it was renamed that in And they've December, now diversified and are
0: going into the ferry business in terms of... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, but anyway, led by Clive Richardson and, and aided at various stages by the likes of Dean Holdsworth and David Platt, Sport Capital Investments has somehow not managed to actually manifest itself in any real fashion with money, with appointments. In fact, Il Sole 24 Ore, who are kind of like the Italian Financial Times, said that of the 15 million pounds worth of capital that supposedly they were going to be putting in, only 100 pounds has ever, has so far been deposited in the club. The net result is wages have not been paid for November and December, and the club may be messo in mora, as the expression goes. Do you want to explain what that means, gab
1: Basically, when you go into administration. And- yeah the tribunal goes and sells off your assets and because the club other than the players themselves don't really have any assets whatsoever also because they've all been stripped by the great northern satan who's who's been running them for the last 15 years marito zamparini and bear in mind in normal circumstances yeah. what would happen parma fans would be going to somebody in his house and they would be making somebody pay. Instead, because the mentality is that of the rich man who saves everything, there's still people pushing the narrative of like somebody's like, well, but to help the club, uh, uh, I may need to come back. And, you know, no, no, go away. You created this problem. Okay,
0: so wages have not been paid. The players can declare the club in breach of contract. This used to be a major thing in Serie We saw this at a bunch of clubs, the Meso and Mora, through the kind of dark days of the, uh, of the noughties. Basically, by Saturday, they need to find funds or somebody to come in and take over.
2: Yeah, and some of the people circling around the club, I wouldn't say inspire a lot of confidence. Anne Hathaway's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. um, Who's
1: just come out of prison, by the way. Yeah. Who went to prison for committing fraud together with the archbishop in New Jersey. Nice. You know.
0: But on the subject of prison, by the way, uh, on January 25th, Zamperini was placed under house arrest.
1: Oh, good, so they know where he is. Seriously, <laughs> for, go around his house, For honestly. false
0: accounting and, and, and money laundering. I mean, nothing proved.
2: The but, whole yeah. thing, I mean, the takeover, in particular, it stinks. I mean, it's, it's uh, you look at some of the other people involved. I mean, there is an incredible statement. I think I sent it to Gab last week, put out by is it Sports Capital, about their version of events and the kind of, yeah, how they went about the transfer window and all that sort of thing, where it's like, this is what happened on this day at this time. Yeah, some of the people who seem to have been uh, introduced these guys as well, I mean, you look at their reputations, it is not good in the slightest.
1: Mm. You're not on good terms with, with your cousin Clive, though. otherwise we could have him on the show.
0: <laughs> He's very much the black sheep of the Richardson family. <laughs> is he?
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you at least checked to see if you're related to him?
0: Uh, no, I haven't actually. But my brother Gary has, and he said that <laughs> he said that he didn't think, unless you know. Pff, to be fair, they, you know, Richardson's—they play pretty fast and loose. And Royal Stock, relations. know, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're Danny Dyer-esque in our <laughs> in our family tree. Um, anyway, well, there you go. So that's very bad news for Palermo, who are only one point off the top of the table in City of B. So the promotion campaign continues at pace, but let's hope they can get the off-field problems resolved. Next week, we'll have a very special one without you, James, because you're going to have those plumbing issues. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, Gab, you and I will get to tackle one of the the most iconic figures of the last couple of decades in in Italy. He's on the Mount
2: Rushmore of Seriano in the 90s and
0: 2000s. I think he is. We'll find out who when we return on Galazzo next Wednesday. For now, many thanks to James, to Gab, to producer Charlie and to you, listener. From all of us here, it's Italiano.
2: You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.